Today is finally here, episode number 200 of Shut Up and Grind with your host, yours truly, Robert B. Foster. So as we all know, we live in a technological age, and as you see, this is what my office actually looks like because my green screen, for whatever reason, the function is not working through the streaming app. But we're going to make do because it's myself and my guests. We're the ones that make the show. So we're just going to ignore all that clutter back there. We're just zeroing on the topic at hand, which we're going to be talking about how entrepreneurs can stop outsourcing. And so if you're brand new to the channel, we're all about overcoming obstacles. We're about defying the odds and helping you clear whatever is blocking your path to the success that you want to have slash the freedoms that you want to have. So if you're joining me over on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel. If you're joining me live on the Facebook streams on either of my pages, please like and share. And if you're brand new to this, you have no clue who I am or how you stumbled onto my page, here's a quick introduction. I started doing workshops and doing groups where I'm getting up in front of of others, like outside of the gym setting and talking about resilience and perseverance and goal setting and vision and taking action. You should know what one hour of your time is worth. You should know the value that you bring to the marketplace. You know what your passion is. starts with clarity of vision. If you don't have the clarity of vision, whatever next thing you get, you're not going to see it through because you don't have the clarity of vision. So the, the point of my pain was being told you will never run or jump again. And all that stuff, I was like, you know what? Like, I want to be able to take this even bigger. If you know why you do what you do, you have to know how to charge for what you do. That's how you're going to change your life, and that's how you're going to leave a legacy for your children and your family. you got to know your work. All right, for today's teachable moment, so in 200 episodes, I've learned, I've learned a few things. Because everyone that comes on this show brings something to the table. So you, you, like you could argue how, how many times can you talk about um, overcoming obstacles, defying the odds and mindset and, you know, conscious awareness. And like it's oversaturated. There's so many things out there. But everybody brings a unique perspective. Like think about, I could say the word vacation. And to people listening, people will give a thousand different answers on what vacation means to them. So I've had people on this show who are CEOs. I had a guy from from Japan who's practically a billionaire. I had a guy who was a former pimp. I had a Playboy cover model. I've had guests from six different continents and from all different walks of life. People who grew up super, super poor. People who grew up wealthy, hit rock bottom and climbed their way out of it. Like there's no one way. There's no one path to get to where you want to get. And just because you might be born into privilege doesn't mean you don't lose your way along the way. Or just because you're born poor doesn't mean that's your destiny for your family, you know, for, for, for generations. It doesn't have to be that way. And everyone shares a unique and powerful story. And you have one too. For people listening, you have one. What do you have in your subconscious that you've gone through that you've buried because you think it's not important or you think no one wants to hear it? I'm here to tell you they need to hear it. It it doesn't matter how small you think it is. Our stories are powerful. 
And it's the oldest form of entertainment before TV, before radio. People sat around and they shared stories. That's your greatest asset is what you've been through, what you can take from it, and what you can teach someone else. Like, that's the key to finding fulfillment. You know, like anybody can get a job and make money, but not everybody's fulfilled. So when you can actually take your experiences and then give back and help other people, that's what lights your soul. Well, that's what lights my soul on fire. I can't tell you what lights yours on, but that's what lights mine on fire. And most of the guests that I bring in on this show, at some point in their journeys, they had a moment where they're like, either I can't do this anymore or I need to do this more. And we'll see if today's guest is no different because I don't pre-screen the guests that if you've been watching this show for a while, when I bring them on, I met them for maybe three minutes backstage and I get to learn about them. They get to learn about me and we inspire you along the way. So today, help me welcome Lauren Kennedy. Hi. Good morning. <laughs> morning. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm actually really excited to be here because I love listening to the show and I'm excited to be on it. Oh, awesome. Thank you. Appreciate that. So where are you joining me from? Joining you from Richmond, Virginia this morning. Richmond. I know Richmond. <laughs> yeah, I uh, usually I'm joining from Wilmington, North Carolina, but I am on the road this week. My little sister just had a baby, so I'm here spending oh, my awesome. time with my nephew. <laughs> Not, no, I was going to say boy or girl, but you, you <laughs> what did she name him? Wyatt. Okay. Very nice. And uh, how long are you in town for? Um, I'll head home this weekend. <clears throat> okay. How far of a drive is it? About three hours. It's not bad. It's oh, pretty yeah. close. Yeah, it's not bad at all. Yeah, my my ex, she had, her sister lives in the, well, I think they're a little further down. Isn't Petersburg or something around there? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. She, she lived down in the Petersburg area. So I'm up here in Rhode Island. So that's about like a nine and a half hour drive from here. So not awful. <laughs> How's the weather over there? It's really cold, which is interesting because it was about 80 degrees when I got here. And now it is um, 39. Earlier this morning, it was 28. So uh, the middle of the country has really variable weather. Yes. Yes, it's very true. It's 14 up here right now. (laughs) It's like we we aspire for 39 at this point. (laughs) Um, So let's dive in. So I want you to describe how your best friend would describe you. It's a great angle to look at it from. So my best friend would probably describe me as dependable first. Um, I do what I say I'm going to do and I'm always there. Um, I also care for others in a very um, strong way. If you're in my life, uh, I'm in your life. (laughs) I don't have very many service level friendships or um, light commitments. Like I take friendship very seriously and I'm also incredibly determined so uh, people who know me know that if I want something or if I see something that needs to be done, like it's done very quickly and it's done well, <laughs> um, I, I'm an executor. <laughs> so nice. I would say those three things um, come to mind. Nice. So in the fitness space, well, in my gym anyway, I've outlawed the use of the word motivation because I always say it, once you have determination, you don't need motivation. So you said you're a determined person. So how do you define determined? 
Determined, I, I look at it as very being mission, mission oriented. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that there's, I'm a psych major, so I think there's internal and external motivation. Um, yes. And I have always found internal motivation, which I think is also called determination. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I just look at it as like, I see a problem, I need to solve it, um, whether that's internal, external, situational. Um, if I identify that something is off or wrong, I am then incredibly focused on fixing it until it is fixed. <laughs> okay. I like that. Yeah. It's like, I did it because more, again, more so in the gym setting, motivation is a tool that's blamed. You know, my alarm went off and I just wasn't motivated to get up, you know, or just something along those lines. I, well, you know, I was going to do this, but I wasn't motivated. It's like, that's, that's nonsense. Like I believe in the intrinsic, ex- extrinsic, but when it's mm-hmm. used as an excuse, that's that's when I, I jump on people. Cause I'm like when when you're determined, you're fueled from from within, mm-hmm. you know. And Agreed. what and once you reach that point from determination, then you hit commitment. Once you hit commitment, you get results, you know. So mm-hmm. getting getting people to grasp that that's like my daily challenge, <laughs> you know. So. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Like, I think motivation is a really easy thing to blame. Um, I, I think what most people mean is energy <laughs> in that <Yes>. context. Because <laughs> if I'm determined to lose weight or get in shape and all that, maybe today I just don't have the energy to fight for that goal. <laughs> <laughs> yes, like I traveled, I traveled a few months ago and I had checked in on Facebook. I found, found the gym, a plan of fitness nearby where I was staying. And so it was like six o'clock in the morning and someone, someone uh, inboxed me and was like, it's like, how do you, how, how do you stay focused even though you're traveling? Like, because I have a goal, like the goal doesn't stop because I'm traveling, you know, like the goal doesn't stop because I have kids or the goal doesn't stop because I have, um, um, have my podcast and I'm speaking on three others late, later on. It's like, the goal is still the goal. So the time for me to get this done is at 6am. That way it doesn't interfere with anything else. Like, Oh, well, when I'm on vacation, I want to sleep till like nine o'clock. And like, and that's why you're struggling with your goals. <laughs> yeah, you know. agreed. And I also think it takes time to build that routine. So you have yes. the routine of working out at six. And so if I don't have that routine, I'm like, wow, that's a really hard thing to imagine myself doing. And it's because it's not what I do. It's not my yeah. routine. So yeah, I think that's often when people look at uh, people in your situation, they're like, I don't know how you're doing that or whatever. It's because they don't yeah. do that. So it would just be yes. completely abnormal. <laughs> and uh, that's that routine is really hard to build. Um, but once you're there, it's really easy to maintain. <laughs> yeah see that's that's the thing too it's like people always talk about how hard maintenance is like maintenance is easy you know again just regarding weight loss like it like if you had to lose 30 pounds like that's hard that is hard once you get there it, it's a 75 25 rule you know you work out three days a week eat clean most of the time drink plenty of water as long as you do that day in and day out mm-hmm. you know you, you're not gonna you're not gonna rebound but then yep. people get comfortable you know, they get that C word, they get comfortable. And the next thing you know, a year goes by and they're co- they're coming right back to me. Like, uh, Rob, I need you again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I may or may not be those people. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it happens. It happens. It, <laughs> I, I actually had a guest on a couple of weeks ago who said something that, that I, even in all the years I've been doing this, and all the years I've been a speaker and a motivator, I never thought of it from this angle where I was overweight one time in my life. And before that, I was an all-American athlete. So I was in some pretty solid shape. And so when when I got overweight, like I vowed to never let that happen again. 
And as I'm going through, and then she had said, that's because you felt it before. It's like, you knew what it felt like to be fit. Like if you're someone who struggled with weight their whole life, like they can't see that. So it's yeah. tough. It's tough for them to imagine that. And do you find that in business as well? So like, if, say if you're someone that's been, you know, middle-class, maybe, maybe, you know, just above the poverty line and now you're trying to branch off, but you've never tasted that success before. Do you find that that might hold people back? I think so. I, I think that we are very much products of our environment and our situations. And I, that's actually something I talk about a lot is uh, we don't know what we don't know. And so if we're not trying to achieve a certain feeling or a certain experience that we've either witnessed firsthand or felt before, it's kind of challenging to get there um, or to even recognize that there's somewhere else to be. Um, I talk about her book a lot, but Glennon Doyle wrote a book called Untamed and it talks, it starts off with an analogy of a cheetah in a cage and how whenever you're having an animal in a zoo, that's really young. Um, it doesn't, uh, know everything. It's like trying to push its barriers. But if you grow up in a cage, you don't know that you're supposed to be running free in the Sahara. Mm. Um, <laughs> you think you're in this cage. And so we very similarly grow up in a certain uh, set of standards or a certain box. And so uh, she talks about questioning the box that you're in. And is that really where you should be? Or are you also a cheetah that's caged and you're holding yourself back from what you should and could be doing? And uh, I really love that concept. And I, I play that into reverse conditioning because like you said, like, well, we did, I've never felt that before. I don't know. And so we talk a lot about um, management recovery at our company and how we are coming back from maybe having a bad boss or being put in a role where we feel like we've been beat <laughs> down. And so coaching that like you can feel supported and safe at work. You just haven't before. <laughs> so how do we uh, how do we get you to that point? Yeah, I mean that's that's like kind of being being in a bad relationship. Like I was working mm -hmm. with with my my son on this. Like he he wasn't in the best of relationships, and I tried to point out the red flags to him. But you know, once they're adults, you got to let them you got to let them experience life. You know, but it's like yeah. pay attention to this, pay attention to this. <laughs> and uh, but then once they finally split, just the way he was talking about other women, like I had to sit him down. I was like, listen, that's not how this works. Like just yeah. because she hurt you you can't automatically project that on the next female. Like that's not fair to that person. And mm -hmm. it's the same. And I kind of went through that myself in business because I had two business partners. Things didn't go well. We ended up in a legal battle. And now I'm just starting to come out of it. But I had really bad trust issues over the next few years because like I know I can't do everything myself. Mm -hmm. But, you know, because I trusted wholeheartedly that first go round. It's kind of like giving your heart to someone and then having them break it. It's yeah. just that same scenario. I agree. Yeah, I have um, a few members of my team have been let go from previous positions um, without warning. And so they've kind of lost trust of, oh, my job is safe here. And you're going to let me know if something is wrong before I can fix it. And I can say that until I'm blue in the face that like, that's not going to happen here. Like, I'm not saying I'll never fire you, but I am saying that like, you will have an idea that that is coming. <laughs> and <laughs> they, uh, it's, it's still an anxiety that we struggle with of, well, I've heard that before and it didn't work out. And so I've noticed that there is a tangible change in the people who join my team when they join in about a month and a half to two months in, um, after I've put the work in to establish that trust, because I, 
spoke with a therapist once that said that trust is given, not earned. And I've never internalized that. I think trust is earned. Um, So uh, my work is not done with therapy, but um, (laughs) I, uh, I think that I have to earn the trust of my team and and build that up. And like you said, with every relationship, it's different, but it's very hard to just clean the slate in your mind and be like, okay, they said, this is different. I'm supposed to treat people like with a fresh slate, but it's like, it's so hard because we are a product of our experiences and like we are conditioned to react certain ways in certain situations. And, um, it's really hard to break that pattern. And it's, it's, to me, it's all about building trust and relationships and proving to yourself that it is different. (laughs) I think a lot of it too, is reconciling within yourself. What went, what went wrong? And um, mm-hmm. like I, I help people craft, craft their, their stories from their past experiences. And a lot of it is if things that hurt us, I mean, it's human nature. It's things that hurt us, we tend to shy away from it. Mm-hmm. And But getting people, all right, so what happened in that last job? Like, were there any signs? Did you see anything? Did you have any reviews? Did you have run-ins with coworkers? And just kind of dissect everything that happened mm-hmm. and then pluck out things that you can learn from. And then make sure you, you, you're cognizant of those things going into your next job so you're not on, you know, walking on eggshell. Be like, all right, what can I do to make sure that this situation doesn't play out again? Because that's where I am now about trusting, trusting others again because that was a big deal. It's like, God, that, that relationship breakdown cost me six figures. You know what I mean? Like that, yeah. that, was, a, that was a bad, bad breakup. But it's like, I was like, you know what? But I was doing all of this, saying they did this to me and they did mm-hmm. this and they said that. But then it's like, but I also didn't fully read the contract. Yeah. It's like, I also missed when he said this, like that was a red flag. I missed yeah. when this happened, that was a red flag. So then once I put the ownership on myself, then I was able to pick up the pieces and move forward to, to, to what we're doing now. But I think a lot, a lot of people get caught up in that pointing fingers you know so what what's your experience with that I I think we're all guilty of pointing fingers at different points like I I think it is easy to say oh it was their fault and I I think that there's a certain recovery period from any sort of what I would consider a traumatic event um which is any sort of unexpected big life change and from my definition and it's easy to say oh everybody else um (laughs) and everything else but um the, the problem that I see with that is it's really not their fault or your fault. It's um, it's the effect that comes from it because you eventually recover from the trauma. You eventually recover from the thing happening, but the message of what happened sticks with you. And whenever you are let go or a relationship goes bad, that we stick to a certain message, either I'm the victim and what happens to me is out of my control or um, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of a good relationship. I'm not worthy of being treated well at work. I'm not worthy of job security. Um, and whatever that message that you take away uh, is really what I try to fix because a lot of times it's, well, I'm dumb or I'm not good enough or, uh, I'm not going to be in a situation where I can trust my boss because I'm terrible. So why would they invest in me? And so it's these messages that we internalize and take with us that really damage us long-term in our career. Um, because they're self-fulfilling prophecies. Yeah. Yes. And that that goes back to, to uh, the law of attraction. Like when people tell me that they don't believe in it. I'm like, it happens whether you believe it or not. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's like, <laughs> you know, the things you're focused on will come to pass, whether it's positive or negative. Because you know, mm-hmm. it works both directions. So, so like if you're constantly willing, 
know, bad things happen to me. There's a dark cloud over my head. If something's going to go wrong, it's going to happen to me. Like you're, you're mm-hmm. bringing that to you yeah. and, and you're missing the opportunity. Like there's a flashing red sign that says opportunity and, and you're missing it <laughs> because your head is in the dark cloud. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. Yeah. It's a, it's really challenging to pull yourself out of that though. Cause I, I know that I've been there and for me, my challenge in the work environment has always been, uh, I'm too much. <laughs> I'm too much for my environment. And so to me, it's like, am I too much or am I in the wrong place? And so that's yes. something that I've worked on with myself. It's like, I think I've just been in the wrong environment. Um, but trying to be more than my role is or trying to be more involved or trying to be more strategic and like being told that's not my place. And so I'm just like, is it not my place to be that? Or is was it not my place at the time in that situation? And so that's something that I've worked on overcoming because it is my place. It's where I've created my, like, where I've put myself now um, and I'm good at it. So it was my place. I was just in the wrong place. See, I'm glad you said that. Cause like I wrote down too, when you said things that people say things are out of their control mm-hmm. and people, people don't understand you control a lot more than, than you think you do. You know, mm-hmm. cause so, sometimes it's just as simple as asking. Like sometimes it's just that simple. Just asking. Like I, I rent my house here. And I know that when, like, when states get federal money, they pretty much have to spend it. And if they don't, if they don't spend it, they lose it. Mm-hmm. So I got an email that Rhode Island was giving out rent rent relief. So I was like, let me apply. <laughs> I, I applied, and I got I got I got approved for for a five figure sum. <laughs> so I was like, wow. whoa! <laughs> I was like, I definitely wasn't expecting that. But you don't know it if you don't ask, and you don't know if you don't try. Mm-hmm. You know? so it's like that's a you know a different example but it's it's still because at first I was like oh I'll never get that but it's like okay so let me just apply and then let them tell me I can't get that because yep. you just never ever know and I think a, a lot of it too it's ego you know especially with us men you know we just think we can take on the world by ourselves and uh that was that's probably one of the, the one of the most powerful things I teach people now is that Stop it with the independence, independent stuff. It's like mm-hmm. nobody, nobody's independent. Not one person. It's like the, you know, the farmers need help, the, the the supermarkets need help, the banks need help, and we need all of them for us to survive. So like yeah. once, once you drop that stigma and be like, you know what, my life's gonna be better with the more good people I have in it. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so um. So with what you do, how did you start it? I started Coastal Consulting in March of 2021. So we are a little bit under a year old. And I started Coastal Consulting because I couldn't do what I was doing anymore. Um, I didn't really set a goal of like, okay, in 2021, I'm starting a business or even next month, I'm starting a business. It was kind of like, okay, today I am starting a business. <laughs> um, <laughs> I uh, I was getting um, surgery last year and I was out of work for surgery. And, um, while I was gone, my direct manager blamed me for a mistake that somebody else had made, um, on a public scale. And there had been kind of like a series of interactions and that, that was kind of my final straw, I guess. And, um, there's a lot more to that story, but I, (laughs) I chose to resign and, uh, founded, signed up for my LLC on March 2nd. And uh, over, throughout the month, build out the brand, build out the website. It's it's a lot easier to get going once you're a marketer. M- marketers are pretty good at spinning up uh, businesses and all of that. But I knew there was a need in the market because I'd been freelancing for so long and yeah. uh, honing my skills. 
So I, I kind of want to hear the rest of the story. Um, if you so, don't mind. Yeah. So we essentially, I go back a little bit. So when I was younger, I was very close to my grandfather who passed at a young age for me. And um, at his funeral, there were hundreds and hundreds of people that came from across the globe, even though we didn't advertise it or promote his funeral. Wow. And there, um, everyone had a story of how he touched their life. He was um, a pretty high up executive at the world bank and he had all of these people where he had touched their lives and our fit. We didn't know about any of these people or this like legacy that he had built, but he did a a lot of series of little actions to help people move forward in their life, whether it's a promotion or helping them out at home or, or giving them the motivation they needed to do the next thing. Um, And all of these people flew from all over the country to come honor him at his funeral. And it really stuck with me at age 13, that that is what a leader looks like. That is what um, I should aspire to be. And so I kind of had this vision of this is what a leader looks like. And when we talk about um, once we've experienced something, we know what it feels like. So when I started working, I expected that to be what existed in the leaders that were around me. And I did not find that to always be true. <laughs> and <laughs> I, uh, I don't think that that's necessarily everyone's fault. I think that whenever you're in a corporate environment, you're conditioned to behave a certain way because you see that certain actions make you successful and get you moved forward in your career. Yeah. Um, but I struggle with leaders that do not um, make that impact on others or who do not put their team first or others first or prioritize the fact that we are human over the fact that we are resources for an organization. And Um, After a series of decisions of cutting employees um, without really um, reason or cause and um, choosing to diminish the opinions of people internally over maybe outsourced agencies and um, things like that. And then also like diminishing value. I I find it really challenging when uh, I'm the subject matter expert on something and I'm brought in and uh, not listened to because of my age or my gender. (laughs) I I personally struggle with that. Um, So that's where I got. And while I was recovering from surgery and found out that that was going on, I, um, I had an, I can't do this moment. I am not going back to that environment. And so I decided to create my own environment that is modeled after the way my grandfather impacted others. Um, because at our organization, our people come first in every aspect, whether it's internal or external and how we work with clients and how we work with each other. And so that is the PC version of that story. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I mean, obviously not the struggle that you went through, but I'm glad I'm glad I, I asked you to, to tell more of it because I feel like a lot of people are there, like they're mm-hmm. right there. And now there are people that absolutely need the security of a nine to five. And I always say in the beginning of the show, if, if that's if that's you, then cool. You know, feel mm-hmm. feel, feel free to keep li- listening and, and you know, get some words of wisdom. But it's those people who are stuck because mm-hmm. I was stuck. I was that person feeling just like you, like my value was diminished. Like here I am as a kitchen manager in a restaurant, you know, working anywhere from 10 to 14 hours a day, doing what I can to make these people money. And then they would come in, you know, like you'd see the area director maybe once a month and he'd come in and bust chops over foolishness. I'm like, dude, I put in 70 hours this week. And you're worried about the stupid vent being dirty. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's yeah. like we're profitable. The payroll's in check. The food cost is in check. It's clean. We passed the health inspection. And you can't even say a good job. You can yeah. yell at me because the vent is dirty. Mm-hmm. And so, so like I felt that diminishing value. And I know there's so many people out there that feel it. So mm-hmm. 
I love that you said you created your own environment. So what were the steps you took to create it? And then what mindset did you have to adopt to see it through? So at first, um, as a marketer, my initial response was, okay, this is the problem I'm going to solve. I'm going to get my logo together, my website, all of that. Um, brought in some talented individual to help with graphic design, website. So usually whenever you start a business, you don't go directly to logo design. Um, but, you know, that's what I did. So <laughs> um, I, I had had this in my mind of maybe in the future, I'll start a business. Maybe in the future, I'll do this. So I had kind of fleshed out a market need. Um, I specialize in HubSpot and Salesforce. That's what my firm specializes in. Um, we integrate the two and we help people with marketing automation. So I knew that existed. And I knew from my experience as an in-house marketer that the agency model is broken. Um, I don't like that agencies are used as kind of like this outside dependency. And so I focus on where the end outsourcing, because we actually partner with companies to teach them how to use their systems. Mm -hmm. And we aim for short-term contracts, not long-term. So okay. I don't want to create that dependency. I hated it. So anyway, <laughs> I had established this market need. We're going to be a better agency. We're going to specialize in this market need from a software perspective. Um, so I was just planning to continue my freelance career. I didn't really decide to start a company or hire people. I was just going to get a website, a logo and support my freelance brand. Um, and then I got too much work. <laughs> so <laughs> I decided to hire an employee. And I will say the most challenging part of starting a business and being in this environment for me has been um, the HR aspect. I We love to just like tear apart HR when we're employees, when we're in the business space. But I had no idea what goes into recruiting, what goes into mm. the paperwork that the states in this country require. I mean, hiring someone in Washington, I have employees in Washington state, Alabama, Tennessee, North Carolina, and Georgia, and hiring a person in those states, insanely different, like from like Washington state's like three grand or more to hire someone in Alabama was like 20 bucks. So it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy how much it costs. Um, however, Alabama did require that we mail in a physical check and piece of paper for something. So it's just crazy how state governments are so different. Um, but <laughs> um, that was a big step for me was hiring and figuring out, okay, what benefits do I want to offer as an employer? How fast do I want to grow? Now that I'm bringing somebody else into this, what does that look like? What kind of manager do I want to be? And so I went through this shift in May of 2021 from I'm just going to be a freelancer that does my own thing. And like, I'm not accountable to anyone, um, which is kind of lonely to I am going to be a manager of someone that I care about. So someone that I knew um, and I need to make sure that they have health care and all of these things. So when I started making those decisions of what does it look like to have a team and not just be on an island saying like F you to everyone in the world, um, <laughs> and that talks about that recovery from anger of something happening, but um, I just made my decision through what's best for her, what's best for my team. And so I do fully employer paid healthcare, um, oh, nice. because I think that's what employers should do. And especially now that I'm an employer that does that for all of my employees, I'm more entrenched in the fact that that's what an employer should do. Cause if I can afford it, you can too. Mm. Um, I offer unlimited PTO. Um, and we have different benefits from like, it's not just medical, it's also dental vision, all of that. So Whenever I've come up with a decision in this business from that point, when I started hiring someone, it has been, um, how does the team benefit? So that, that is how I've looked through every other decision of, do we need to hire someone? Is it going to benefit the team? Is it going to take away from the team? How are they going to mesh with the team? Or should we offer this product? Or should we take on this client? Is it going to require the team to work more? Is it something that is worth their development or pulling them back? Is it going to be a client that builds us up or tears us down? 
Um, so once I had a team and like a group of people that I was looking to fight for in this organization, my decisions have become a lot easier because it's not, um, I don't necessarily protect myself the way that I protect others. So it's not, <laughs> am I making the best decision for me? It's like, am I protecting this group of people or am I making a bad decision? So every other step that's come up is that, and I will say, if you're looking to start a business, like partner with a local attorney that partners with small businesses and partner with a local accounting firm that supports small businesses. Um, because they've been a lifesaver for me. I did that before I hired someone because those are like the bigger hurdles that you really don't want to mess up when it comes to legal and finances. Oh, yeah. Um, Taxes are crazy as a business owner. Um, not just the amount, but like the process of figuring oh, yeah. out the the little nuances. So that's a long-winded answer, but I guess those are my steps. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, I, I wrote down several things that you said. So you said the first thing was, what problem am I going to solve? Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, a lot of people can't answer that question. It's like people go in the business because they're thinking about the money. They're thinking about the freedom. I'm going to be my own boss. And so it's like, what do you do? And then, then they go off on this long-winded answer. And it's like, okay, at the end of the answer, I still don't know what you do. <laughs> you yeah. it's, like, it's like, who do you work with? Everyone. It's like, um, I don't think you can work with anyone. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, all right, who is your target? Anyone yeah. that's got the money to afford it. It's like, oh, Lord, have mercy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, that's not it. Like I said, like I, when I started this, I was like, if you're new to the show, we're about overcoming obstacles, defying the odds, and helping you clear the path to your success. Like, that's what we're about. If that's what you're looking for, then this is for you. You know, and, and I know it's not going to be for everyone. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's okay. And then that's what makes you stand out because my mentor said, you know, if you try to be for everyone, you're going to be for no one. Mm -hmm. You're just going to end up, yeah, you're just going to end up in the sea with everyone else. Like, you know, I could have, I could have called my thing about mindset. I could have called it about mental coaching, about whatever else, but I said, shut up and grind. (laughs) So like when you go to podcasting, you look up mindset, there's 10,000 of them, if not more. Yeah. But But you put in shut up and grind, one pops up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> out of that whole sea so it's about differentiation as you know so yeah. you, so you said you established a market need how did you go about doing that I freelanced for four years before I started this company so I started freelancing because I was in a role that was not what I do now but I had discovered I want to do what I do now so I started finding freelance gigs in addition to my full-time job to help people with HubSpot and Salesforce to help with every other email marketing automation platform so I've worked in Pardot, Active Campaign. I basically tested the market for what I liked to do and found that these are the two systems I want to spend my time in over four years of trial and error of trying them all, deciding I didn't like them, whatever. So I've worked with these companies that need help for years on a smaller scale by myself as a freelancer. And I've learned from them as to what they need because I'm the one answering that additional need. So what I have is I have a long archive in our Google Drive of every client posting I've ever responded to or first email from a client because, again, I'm a marketer. I think about this stuff. But those are the problems we're solving. Whenever they reach out the first time, hey, we're struggling with X, Y, and Z, they're telling me their problem. So (laughs) that they literally. (laughs) um, So that's what we're solving is we're answering that initial need that they have. So through the years of collecting those different job postings and understanding, okay, what people really need is not someone to do this job. It's someone to make sure that they don't need someone to do this job again, because they keep reaching out. And like, there's a trend of we've worked with six agencies to achieve this goal, or we've, you're our third freelancer and the last two haven't worked out. And 
um, what they're looking for is to stop having to solve this problem. So that that's really what it is. So what we do is we don't just come fix the issue and fix your systems, but we also train you and give you detailed documentation and like set you up to not need to post another job on Upwork or not need to find another agency to contract with forever and like actually be able to own your system and like not have it keep falling apart because you don't have the tools to maintain it. So mm. what they're really looking for is guidance and like autonomy in their own system, not just another person to do the thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So who, who's your, your ideal client? Our ideal client is usually like what I would call a mid-sized business. So um, 10 to a hundred million in revenue. Um, I'd say no more than a thousand employees. And then most of our, like our best clients are international. So they have a U.S. presence, but um, they usually have UK, Australia, sometimes UAE as well, um, because we work with systems that are supporting a marketing sales and customer service team. So usually smaller organizations don't have dedicated teams for that. So for our process automation and revenue operations and all that to work, that's what we're looking for is those larger companies with dedicated resources there. Um that are using HubSpot, trying to implement it or using Salesforce and HubSpot. And it's just like a total mess and they need help. Um, but we also look at culture of the organization we work with, which is kind of a differentiator because a lot of agencies are like, okay, whoever wants to pay us next to like, come on in the door, we'll get you going. Um, <clears throat> but we look for a very specific person that we work with. We, we look for the per person who wants to learn and who wants to truly grow their organization, not just like fix something that's broken that they want this to become a strategic resource and they want someone that will help them get there. Yeah. Um, not just a list of to do's that they need to throw to another person. So we're looking for a partner. So not only do we have that demographic data or company, a graphic, whatever um, criteria, we also have the culture code. So we screen our clients while they're screening us. Um, and I've turned down deals before because it's not a great cultural fit. Mm -hmm. which is really different in the agency space. Um, <laughs> but it maintains our team. It keeps us fueled. It keeps us going. Because if you work with people that are going to tear you down or cut down your value, then like, why did I start this in the first place? Because I was already there. Yeah, exactly. Even in the gym, my, my consultation process, I'm very, very brutally honest. And mm -hmm. it's because I want, I want a certain type of person. You know, so that way, like for, for example, on Sunday, had, had, a, had a woman come in and do an obstacle class. I have a 20-foot climbing rope. And so we've been working the last three weeks on those. Like, she's been getting further and further and further. And so she was get, she was almost there. Like, everybody in the class stopped and started cheering for her. You know, it's, it's like, like that. that's the kind of person that I want. It's like, yes, we're here to work out. We're here for our own goals. But in this mm -hmm. moment, our teammate needs us. You know, it's like, I want, I want that person. But mm -hmm. let me circle back. Um, just for the people that don't know what they are, can you describe what Salesforce and Hub, HubSpot is? Absolutely. So HubSpot and Salesforce are both CRM platforms, which are customer relationship management tools. Um, so when you think about <clears throat> all of the data that companies have on us, which is a hot topic, but let's say that like uh, a clothing store, they know the type of shirts you buy, they know your size, all of that is stored in a customer relationship management system like HubSpot or Salesforce. Um, Salesforce is the largest one on the market, um, and they offer a really wide suite of customization. And HubSpot is one of the leading on the market for scaling companies who need to start smaller because Salesforce is a much larger investment um, that are looking to have an all-in-one tool. <clears throat> so the way that those two work together is Salesforce is a very huge, capable CRM, um, but HubSpot is also a marketing automation tool and customer experience management tool. 
So they integrate the two to have all of the, the features of Salesforce for their data management, but they use HubSpot to actually build and grow and nurture relationships with customers. So emails, uh, text messages, personalized websites, all of that. Um, so we make it so those two systems can work together and fuel your sales, marketing, and customer service teams. Okay. And, and, and so that alleviates the headache for the management team or the sales team? Pretty much everyone. So uh, if you work at any sort of company, um, you know that a system that you use sucks. So it's like, oh, I hate when I have to work in whatever. For restaurants, it's order management tools. So like going in and typing it in the computer and this item is out or whatever. <clears throat> so when I worked at Olive Garden, we had to go import uh, or input. We wanted a salad refill and then go manually refill the salad. And it was kind of silly because we could just go refill the salad. Anyway, you know that there's a system that's broken wherever you yeah. work. So <laughs> What we do is we take all of your systems. When we first start, we build a systems map of everything you're using and we start redlining. Like you don't need the system. You don't need this system and consolidating into the systems you do have because the less uh, logins you have as a marketer is great. Um, Cause usually we have 30 to 50 logins on a marketing team, which is just mm-hmm. ridiculous. Meaning systems that we have to log into. <laughs> um, so if we can consolidate that and make that simpler, we then have reporting that is easier for management to use. So you actually get insights into what your team is doing by going to one place, not multiple dashboards, multiple systems. Yeah. Sales team knows where all their data is. And a big, a big point of friction in most B2B organizations is sales and marketing don't communicate or there's friction there. So being able to use these tools together effectively is like, I can see the emails marketing is sending. I can see what they are doing. And on the marketing side, I can see the email sales ascending and what they're doing and how this customer is progressing. So having those in sync naturally creates more alignment between marketing and sales because you're not stepping on each other's toes. You're not uh, steamrolling one another. So uh, <laughs> systems alignment leads to team alignment from my perspective. So that's what we do. Nice. And so what would you say the biggest benefit is to implementing these systems like outside of, you know, making more profit? Um the streamlined operations. So the less time that you are wasting for your team, the more time they're spending making a better experience for your customers. So having systems that are working for them rather than the other way around streamlines your operation, streamlines your team. It's better for retention, um, which is a huge topic right now is how do I retain my employees? And something that would be great for them is if you looked at what they're, you're making them do. <laughs> If they have to go to six different, if they have to go to six different systems every day to like, if you're a salesperson, I have one tool to track my calling. I have one tool for email. I have one tool for like working deals and sending out orders and all of that. That's a really annoying as a salesperson because sales teams want to be on the phone in their email, making deals, making commission. So if you look at what you're actually asking your sales team to do to work for you, um, you can really cut down on retention because for a salesperson, if you can sell in a certain industry, you can sell anywhere. Like if I can sell cars, I can sell cars for any car dealership, but I'm going to go to the one that makes it easiest for me to earn the most money. So if you can be the person that makes it easiest for your team to do the job that they do, whether that's accounting, sales, marketing, you will have a lot better retention because they enjoy doing the thing they're good at for you, not just uh, making a paycheck. Yes, like so, it's it's a similar example, but completely different in industry. I'm just going back to I was helping I was helping a, a gym friend of mine, mm-hmm. and as I was just doing a walkthrough with him through his facility, like we looked through everything, like the the exterior, looked at his office, you know, right when you walk in the foyer, and then we get to the employee area, and the employee area was an absolute nightmare. 
you know? And so I walked in and I was like, this right here tells your employees what you think of them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? As, and and he's, he, he like didn't think of it that way. And, and I was like, it's the same thing when you walk in the foyer. I was like, the foyer doesn't speak to what you do. It's like the, the second people step into your gym, they should know what you're all about. There should be testimonials. There should be before and after photos. There should be something wel- welcoming them in there. And like none of that stuff is there. And it's like mm-hmm. I, just share, I just share that because, as you know, those little things matter. Yes. You know, those little, it's like, yeah, I can go over here at Joe, Joe Schmo's car dealership and sell cars, but it's such a pain in the ass to get it done. Or <clears> then, <throat> then you introduce a system where it's like, you know, you can you can sell more cars in half the time yeah. and w- without the headache or without the stress. It's like, that's yeah. the true value in this is what I'm picking up. No, for sure. And, and we very much switched from an environment where employees have to sell us on them to where we have to sell ourselves to employees and it's a sales pitch now to get someone to work for you and um i think that we're doing this really well we had over um 300 applications to our last role that we posted in under a week (laughs) um so i feel like i'm conveying my message really well but when you talk about physical spaces where you're designing the gym and looking at those elements i look at digital so For me, I evaluated our website a few months into hiring people. And I'm like, this website only talks about me. It is very me centric because it was designed to support a freelancer. So I'll give myself some grace there. But (laughs) if you go to our website now, um, our people are the first thing that you see. So we say like put it into outsourcing and then it's a a role of all the people who work at my team because we are the people who are supporting you. And so that sends a message to my team that like you are our organization. Like you're not just supporting our products. Like our product is you. Like we are the people, first people that are helping other people. <laughs> so. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And um, you said, I wrote, I wrote something down here in shorthand and I don't remember what it was about. <laughs> so, so I'll just move on then. All right. All right. So what do you see as next for you? So, Next for me, I I look at organizations and see, oh, well, we just do everything. And a lot of agencies' goal is to be a full-service marketing agency, which means we do not only systems, but emails and ads and social and all this. And I'm not looking to do that. I I like to to hone in and do something really, really well. So now that we've built out the consulting agency arm of what we're doing, we're going to keep growing that. And we're going to look at deepening our focus on HubSpot and Salesforce. So This year, we're working on a course to help people manage that integration because right now we're looking for teams that want to like invest in an outside partner. But I'd really like to tap into marketers who have the resources internally. They just haven't had the training on these tools um, or people who can't afford a full consultant and just like need to learn it, even though they wish they could have the help. So we're creating a more approachable course that you can go purchase and like teach at your own pace so you can train your internal team. So we're deepening our expertise in that area by offering something that's more like easy entry than having a consultant come on Um, because it is expensive to have outside help. Um, And then from there, we're looking at app development. So how can we make the integration that we build better? How can we make it more? You buy this, you plug it in, you don't need someone to set it up. So that's what we're looking at doing is just broadening our services around this like deep niche that we're in. Um, so that's what the next year looks like for me is building out my team more and then um, hitting those additional product points around what we specialize in. Yeah, see, if you can get that to where 
people don't need training, just plug it in. That now you're speaking my language. <laughs> doing this stuff right here, I can do this all day long. Like being in the gym, being on the podcast, being podcast guests, speaking in schools all day long. Oh, it's that back office stuff that gives me fits. And and I, I I've looked into other programs that I thought was just like you know plug and play. And then, mm-hmm. then you get it and it's like, I still have to do stuff. Like, and I'm not good at this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's what a lot of these platforms have. And that's what the user experience as an issue is the HubSpot and Salesforce integration. If you have HubSpot, you can see that you can just go add the app and like click install and magically it's integrated. But if you've done that, you know that there's a lot of fallout. If you don't do the preparation before or the management after, like just hitting a button in software is like kind of a joke of like, that's never going to actually do it. Yeah. So helping you get ready before and then fixing the fallout afterwards is kind of what we do. But because if you don't do the preparation, you need bigger fallout support. Um, so it's better to get the support throughout the process. Um, but that's kind of the problem is if we think it's plug and play and we just take that at face value, we can really get ourselves <laughs> to a mess. Yes. And then you get people like, like me that try to take on the world myself. You don't, you don't, cause I bought a couple programs where I just mm-hmm. kind of tried to just like skim it and get it done so I can get on to the next thing. And then next thing, uh-huh. you know, next thing, you know, I'll get this, pro- this, this program that's, it's, I may as well have not bought it yeah. <laughs> because it's not working to its full, full capacity and I'm right back to square one again. So I love mm-hmm. what you're doing. It's good stuff. So how, so how do people go, go about finding you? Um, coastalconsulting.co is us online. I'm also super active on LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, but, uh, yeah, finding us on our website is the easiest way. And once you get there, you'll see our people (laughs) and, uh, our products, but we are, we are very laser focused. So as we look to grow, we're just looking for those people that need help with those systems and, uh, really want to change the way they go about getting that done (laughs) and actually learning for the long term because, we are, we are a group of teachers and learners. We believe in lifelong learning and we love sharing that information. So even if you're not looking for a consultant, our blog is probably one of the most data rich resources out there on the HubSpot Salesforce integration um, and marketing automation in general. So if you're looking for just more information, if you're already in this space, uh, coastalconsulting.co slash blog, pretty easy to find, um, is a, a really great resource for all of that information. Said slash blog. Mm-hmm. Yep. That back up there. Boom. There you go. <laughs> good, good, good. All right. So, all right. So, what's like? What's the onboarding process like? So, say I find you, I book a consultation, I want to move forward. Like, what are the first steps? Yeah, our <clears throat> our onboarding process is pretty streamlined because we don't have a full suite of products. Like, we have these two things that we're offering you, so we can get you going pretty quickly. So. I have two calls in my sales process or onboarding if you're looking at it from the other side. Um, The first one is a 10 to 15 minute call. So you come in on the website, you say, I want help with XYZ. We talk for 10 to 15 minutes so I can learn, are you a good fit for us? And you can learn, are we a good fit for you? And if we both say yes to that question on the 10 to 15 minute call, then I will go in and do some research on your company, um, put together a proposal about what we talked about and send it over usually in a day or so. And then we'll get on another call to say, okay, Here's what this includes. Here's what it doesn't. Does this match your needs? Do we need to tweak it? Um, Usually our process is about a week max of going back and forth before we get a contract signed. And then we start the next week. Um, Because we're so streamlined and focused on what we do, like we can get off the ground like that because we already have a pretty like 
standardized process of what that is. Our pricing is really transparent on our website. So yeah. once we're talking, you know what it's going to cost, you know how long it's going to be, et cetera. So from there, we kick off with a project plan and our projects are usually four to six months. Um, and we just hit the ground running once we have access to systems. So it's a pretty easy process once you start talking to us. Um, and it's all focused around what your goals are. Um, we've recently added a new product that's kind of a mini version of this. So it's called a HubSpot audit. So it's a cheaper like product where you can go in and just purchase it without ever talking to us. And you send us a, access to your HubSpot account and we go in and let you know, okay, this, this, this is broken <laughs> and <laughs> this is how you fix it. So there's a lot of free audits out there. Ours is paid because we're just not giving you a roll-up list of problems. We're giving you a detailed list of solutions and nice. you can either work with us to do those solutions or you can take them and do them yourself because we've given you enough detail to get you to the point where, okay, here's everything that's wrong, but you can fix it. And here's how um, a lot of the audits that are out there are just like a big laundry list of problems. Mm. Um, and I don't find that very helpful, especially if I'm at the point where I need somebody to audit it. Like clearly I need some guidance on how to fix it or else it wouldn't be this way. Um, yes. So we do that for HubSpot and the HubSpot Salesforce integration. Um, it's a much easier way to work with a consultant because if you're not sure if you need one or not, getting one of those like smaller products, like an audit can help you see, okay, yeah, I do need outside help or no, I just need to fix a few things and I'll be good to go. So, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad you said that about the solutions because I mean, this is really in any industry, any industry mm -hmm. whatsoever. doesn't matter. I mean, obviously I own a gym, so I, I kind of always circle back to to the fitness industry. But even in the restaurant industry, people are just constantly complain and complain and complain and complain about stuff. And it's like, mm -hmm. what are you, you going to do about it? It's like, mm -hmm. what are you going to do about it? It's like, we can talk all day long about what's wrong, but how are we going to fix it? Yep. <clears throat> you know, and then going into into gyms and saying, all right, you know, you're looking to get more adults into your class. Mm -hmm. so you have a big kids fitness program. Who brings the kids? <laughs> right? It's like their parents. So you need some way to get the parents in the building. Uh -huh. you, know? you know, and and a lot of times it's not even something earth shattering that needs to be done. Yeah. It's really, it's really nice. Like it's right there, it's right on the tip of your tongue. And this is gonna solve your problem. You know, mm -hmm. I, I will tell people if you if you look at things as an expense, yeah, it's, ne it's never gonna go away. It's, it's, it's just now like whatever you're dealing with, it's never going to go away. Like one of my, one of my girls, she, she's hurt her shoulder a couple of years ago. And as time, time goes on now, it's getting worse and worse. And I keep telling her, just maybe seven months ago, I got really stern with her. I was like, at some point you're going to tear it. And I don't want to hear it. I was like, do not come crying to me. It's like, I've been telling you for a year and a half to get this thing taken care of. And she's like, yeah, but I'm so afraid that I'm going to need surgery. I'm like, so staying in pain is better yeah. <laughs> with, with no solution in sight, with no end in sight. It's like, that's a better plan. So like I use, I use that example because you know, there's mm -hmm. businesses out there that are struggling yeah. and there's people like you who have solutions, but they only see the expense of it. It's yeah. like, but right now you're in hell. Like this, this is a life raft out of hell or a lifeboat, life plane, mm -hmm. whatever it is, it's something out of hell. Yeah. So, so what's what's some words words of, of advice you could tell that person that could mm -hmm. be struggling, but they're hesitant because they're worried about how much it costs? 
So usually that person knows they need help. It's the person they're trying to convince. So that owns the budget are going to approve the expense. So we all have to learn how to be salespeople. I am saying this to myself as well. I struggle with it. I'm not a salesperson, but I am in my company because I need to be as a founder. But um, whenever you're looking to get budget internally, it's really not the goal of saying, okay, here is the cost. Um, Whenever you're a budget owner and approving budget, you're looking at ROI. So whenever you initially go, okay, this internal system isn't working, a lot of our gut reactions as leaders and budget owners is, okay, we'll get a different one. Um, Why would we spend time working with that one? We've had it for a year, and if it's not working, then get rid of it. So there's a few different options when you identify this system is draining my team. So there's, there's two ways to go there. Abandon it, get a new one to fix it. So whenever you're trying to prove that we need to do that to someone who doesn't use the system, just looks at the numbers... Um, show them different numbers. So because of this system, we've had three people who've left this year because of they're so frustrated with their process. So what was the cost of losing that person, hiring a new one, training them and getting them up to speed? Um, lost efficiency, lost sales. And then two, um, what is the cost to customer experience? Yeah. So a lot of our clients come to us because their data quality is poor. Um, they have a lot of duplicates, which usually we estimate $4 per duplicate to get rid of them. Um, one of our clients has had 13,000 duplicates when they've come to us. So duplicates would be if we have the same person in our CRM more than once. So if we're sending them three emails, every time we send an email, terrible customer experience. If we're sending them the wrong email, terrible. So the cost there varies by industry. So if your average sale is $20, well, $20 times 13,000 is a lot of money. If we lose all of those for a poor experience, um, most of our clients, their deals are like hundreds of thousands of dollars. So it's a lot more if you're losing those people. So building the case of what is the negative ROI of not doing this. So if I'm presented with a problem and say, hey, this is an $8,000 two-month fix to a $400,000 problem, that's a lot easier to approve than, hey, I need eight grand because our team doesn't know how to fix it. We need somebody else because that ask makes you sound like you're not the right person to fix the problem. And it's also just overhead money. But if we take a $400,000 cost and say we can fix it with eight grand, that's a lot easier approve as a budget right. owner. True. Good, good stuff. All right. So give, give us some final words and then we'll bring it down. Just whatever you want to share. Yeah. Um, to those people who are working a nine to five and are not looking to start a business, um, We'll often set intentions to ourselves of, oh, I want to spend more time with my kids. I want to spend more time on myself. Um, don't beat yourself up too much if you're not able to meet those goals if you're in the wrong environment. So even if you don't want to leave to start a company, leave to find a business that appreciates you and owns their culture and prioritizes you. Um, if you do have the entrepreneurial bug, go make one yourself. Um, and regardless of where you are, um, the power of how you treat others is the most important thing that people remember about you. And uh if you're not focused on that, you should be. It's true. They they always say people don't leave jobs; they leave ma- managers. You know. Yep. That's that's a hundred percent spot. I've left a couple because of, mm-hmm. of how, how I was treated, and yeah, I made de- I made decent money, and like I'm I'm a workhorse. Like that's just that's just how I am, and so like I don't let other people dictate my my work ethic or anything. Like no matter what's going on in my life, I show up. And mm-hmm. there, there, there's been a couple of times where I've been super dis- disrespected. There was only once I ever walked out of a job, but uh, it was at, it was at a semi, uh, not semi, it was at a fine dining place. 
and I don't have a cul- I don't have a culinary degree, you know. So like mm-hmm. I was I was a pantry cook, and then they they were cross training me on on the line because I do, I do have cook experience. You know, I'm just not a chef. So anyway, so all the big wigs they were off doing something, and I'm on the line by myself. Like I'm trying to look at the menu, trying to like I, like, I don't know how to make this stuff. And so the general manager of the of the hotel comes down to eat. Now everybody shows up. The head chef is there. The assistant chef is there. The banquet chef is in there. They're like shoving me all around. And I was like, I just made like eight different dishes for the paying clients and none of you guys, were, I mean, customers, none of you guys were around me. And so the last straw was I had gone to the walk-in to get some romaine lettuce. And as I'm coming back, the chef is flying around the corner, barrels into me. No sorry, no excuse me, no nothing. And then I was like, you know what? I, I took off my chef coat and went right out the side door. It's like, I'm, I'm not proud of that, but, but it's just the fact that it got it got to that point. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, you guys threw me to the wolves. It showed me that you didn't care about me or the people I'm serving because I'm making this stuff wrong. Yeah. You know, so I, I just wanted, wanted to share because it, it happens more often than not. And I'm sure there's far worse stories than that out there. And yeah. people don't have to deal with it. They don't. And and right now, more than ever, is a time to demand for your worth. So one of my teammates' wife is currently going through a situation at her work where she feels undervalued and like the system is not supporting her. And so she's been championing that internally for months and she hasn't seen a lot of change. And she turned in her resignation. And whenever she did that, it was a big ruffle internally of no, like she is so important here. Like she is doing so much work that we need. And so after seeing the reaction to her resignation being announced, her company is making changes. They're making sure that she is getting what she like deserves financially based on market value and that she's supported and she stays. And it's a testament to like, if we do have the courage to stand up for ourselves and defend ourselves internally, like we do matter. There are people who will defend us as well. And it's time to speak up for yourself or leave. There's no better time. Yes. That goes back to what you said earlier. Oh, about, about things being out of their control. Yeah. You know, and like that, and it's all you have to do is just ask. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been like, listen, this is what's happening. This is how I feel. Can we fix it? Yeah. Right. Then nine times out of ten, they're, they're gonna be like, whoa. Because like I've been a, ma- a manager. Yeah. Like you're so yeah. you're so focused on other things that sometimes you miss things like that. Mm-hmm. Like I've definitely been there with so- someone's like, I feel like like you don't appreciate me. Like what are you talking about? Like I give you the schedule you want. You yeah. know, I, I high five you on the way in, but you know, just sometimes people need need more. Like you think you're giving enough, but you're just not. Yeah, you know, but but to that person on the receiving end, mm-hmm. don't don't. It's like it doesn't have to be a fight. It's like mm-hmm. you can go up to your to, to whoever your your manager or leader and just say, "Hey, listen, this is how I'm feeling." Because yeah. nine times out of ten, they probably don't even see it. No, for sure. And, and as a manager, something that I encourage people around me that I'm now that I am a manager, um, I ask my team. We have reviews every month. I ask them are you thinking about leaving? How happy are you in your job? And like, we do that rating every month because as an employee, it's so hard to say, I want to raise or I'm unhappy and like create that yourself. So if you want to be a bold manager, that's open to feedback, start asking, are you happy with your salary on a regular basis? Are you happy here on a scale of one to five? How likely are you to leave? And why would you leave? So have the self-awareness to ask that question and take that burden off your team to tell you, because otherwise there's going to quit one day because a lot of times it's really hard to bring that up with a manager of, Hey, I think I'm underpaid and I'm not happy with X, Y, Z. So open that door for them. Um, yes. Uh, God, we can do an entire episode on just that. Like on just that because, 
even with, with with my oldest son, he he had he was like all mad. This maybe like a year and a half ago, and he's like, "I'm going to go in and I'm going to tell him about this person and this person and that person." I said, "Stop, stop, stop!" I'm like, "That's not the way to do it." Mm-hmm. I said, "You go and you sell you. You let them know your value. You let them know what you're feeling. You let them know how much you love working there and how much you love being a part of the team." Mm-hmm. But these things need to be addressed. So like that, that, that. He's like, you don't understand. I was like, dude, <laughs> I was like, I've been managing long before you were on this earth. <laughs> like, like, uh, so I tell you right now, if you come at me like that, you would be leaving. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as I said, that's not going to get you the desired outcome that you think. You know, they For always sure. say, say you get more bees with honey. And it's true. Yeah. Yeah. They always say like, don't go to bed mad in relationships and like, don't yeah. go to your manager with an ask mad. Like, you yeah. may have been wrong. They may be in the wrong. Other people might suck, but like write everything down on a piece of paper and wait two days and then yeah. go when you're rational and say, Hey, I am not accepting this anymore. Cause they say that every time you let somebody get away with something or don't correct a behavior, that's you saying it's okay. Yeah, so if true. something has happened that you don't want to happen again, you need to address it. You yes. need to say, this was not okay. This made me feel this way. So they understand how they are impacting you. Like I always want to know if I have done something that set my team in any way. Because yeah. I don't want to do that. <laughs> so exactly, take the initiative and stand up for yourself and become your own best advocate. Love it. All right, Lauren, this is a great conversation. Thank you for yeah. taking, taking the time out of your day to, uh, to have this talk with me in the audience. Much appreciated. Yeah, thank you. This was great. <laughs> thank you. Many different names on the live stream here. So that's a good, that, that's a good sign. <laughs> so, yeah, and um, like I said, well, I'll, um, if you have a couple minutes, I want to talk to you b- before you sign off. Yeah. That's all right. All right. So we'll say goodbye to the audience. Bye, guys. Yeah. Thanks for listening. <laughs> all right. And I'll, and I'll see you in a minute. All right. So that was Lauren from Coastal Consulting. Her information is up here on the screen. And for those on the audio, it's Coastal Consulting, the way it sounds, .co. And if you want to check out her blog, you can add in a slash blog to follow up with her. Again, I apologize about the green screen. Uh, Something's going on with StreamYard and uh, the green screen function was not working. So you got my cluttered up office in the background here. So I guess that just means I need to be prepared for if if this happens again. And I will be back with today, Wednesday. I'll be back on Friday and on Sunday to close out this week. So this was episode number 200. You guys have yourselves a great day. You've been listening to Shut Up and Grind. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. Robert has over 20 years experience pouring his knowledge and expertise at many events in the service and fitness industry, as well as secondary schools and universities. He has a true passion for helping others break through the barriers that are holding them back. To book Robert B. Foster to speak or to reach out, go to robertbfoster.com. Until next time.